Hi there, folks, and thank you for joining our Japan Real Estate Podcast. Great to have you with us. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you tuning in today. Before we get right into it, a few quick updates for you. Um, first and foremost, if we happen to have anyone tuning in from Fukuoka City or anywhere in Kyushu, Japan, I'm throwing a small seminar tomorrow at 6 p.m. at Off-Broadway in Tenjin, Fukuoka, which is a real hometown New York City-style bar, restaurant, and event venue. Fantastic food, great drinks, a very comfortable space. So to anyone not familiar with the place, it's a real home away from home for many of us here in Fukuoka and highly recommended. Tuesday evenings are business nights, so they're regularly packed full of both existing and new members, all foreigners or mostly foreigners, all from Fukuoka and the surrounding area, and most of us either running or considering opening our own businesses, although there are plenty of people who are currently employed as well, and they all get together once a week to discuss business, life, dreams, profit, and anything else associated with living and working as a foreigner in Japan. The owner of the venue, who's also organizing these events and many others, um, is Mr. Louis Matos, so former New Yorker, longtime resident of Fukuoka, and regardless of the event itself, definitely someone worth meeting if you're living in or visiting the area. So that's tomorrow, Tuesday, 10th December 2019. I've been invited to talk shop, which means, of course, real estate in Japan, with a bit of a deep dive into Fukuoka and other locations in Kyushu specifically. We're going to focus mainly on investment, but also touch upon buying a place to live or work in. So the differences between purchase criteria for investment versus owner-occupied properties, some of the challenges that are unique to operating in Japan. So a lot of stuff we've already covered here on the podcast on previous episodes, if you've been following us for a while. And of course, plenty of time for Q&A and just informal chats as always. So do come pay us a visit if you happen to be in the area tomorrow. Uh, that's Tuesday, 10th December. Come say hello. We'll link to the events, uh, Facebook and Meetup pages in this episode's show notes, of course. Now, the second update, and this also ties into today's episode topic, that Itoshima Beachside monthly lease property that we've mentioned is on the market again in our last episode, and we also covered in more detail in a previous one. Well, that one's already under application. My apologies. So one of our listeners put his foot in the door immediately after we announced that it's available here on the podcast. So that particular one is no longer available. We will let you know if the sale doesn't go through for any reason, but that one is most likely gone. The other one, the Niigata Hotel or Yokan, the traditional Japanese inn that we've mentioned, still on the market as far as we're aware. So do feel free to listen to our last episode and the previous episodes that we've done on that property. Uh, they're all in the show notes for last week's episode, as well as the public version of PBKK's report on it and their business plan projection spreadsheets and so forth. Okay, so we've been hearing from a lot of you since we started discussing monthly rentals here on the podcast. And while many of you are interested in this type of leasing, particularly those among you, obviously, who also appreciate uh, having a holiday unit available for their own personal use when it's not booked by guests, there are, however, others out there who like the idea, but they're not quite ready or they're not quite in the right um, financial circumstance or risk appetite to go for these potentially higher profit, but inherently less stable and reliable rental scenarios, which is perfectly understandable. But again, they do like the idea of having a property that could potentially generate at least slightly higher income uh, than what normal long-term leases can do but they prefer a lesser, a smaller risk factor, more of a stable tenancy if possible. So kind of a midway 
rental solution, if you will. And plus, they'd like to potentially at least have the option of switching from a standard long-term lease to a short-term leasing scheme at some point in the future, if and when their profit and risk appetites change. But do not necessarily want to go ahead and purchase a more expensive central city property of the type that would be a good profile for potential short-term leases. They just prefer to stick to a smaller capital outlay, a more stable income scenario for now. So there is actually an in-between, kind of a gray area there, right between long-term leases and monthly rentals or short-term state properties. And that's what's called a sublease arrangement. So a sublease agreement is essentially a standard long-term lease from the landlord's perspective. Only the tenant is a short-term or monthly lease operator. So the way it works is the operator rents the property directly from the landlord, paying them a monthly fixed rental fee, regardless of whether the property is actually occupied or not. And that fixed monthly rent is or is supposed to be normally at least slightly higher than a standard long-term lease. And that's because the operator, based on their experience and their local expertise, they know that they'll be able to generate a far higher income by leasing the place out short-term to various guest or short-term tenants. And there are also several advantages here for the landlord. Firstly, of course, they get a stable and reliable monthly income. And some of these short-term stay operators are big um, nationwide type companies that are very reliable. Secondly, the operator also takes care of all small and medium maintenance and repair items inside the unit itself, including standard wear and tear of furniture, wallpaper, small fixtures, flooring, window screens, etc. So save you a, a few bucks and a bit of the uncertainty factor that's associated with normal leases. And lastly, the fact that they've agreed to and have successfully operated a short-term stay business in that particular property it's pretty much a guarantee to the owner that the property can be run profitably in a short-term lease scenario at any point in the future, which means that at any point prior to a lease renewal, the owner can simply pick up the gauntlet themselves, choose not to renew the subleasing agreement uh, with sufficient notice, of course, which is normally uh, three or six months prior to lease end, depending on the agreement. And then the owner can try their hand running a short-term lease operation on their own, with the help of a monthly lease property manager, of course, which if you recall from previous episodes, charged something like 20 to 30% of the gross monthly short-term rental income. But that still takes most of these properties a step up income-wise in comparison with a long-term lease arrangement, whether that's with a normal tenant or a sublease company. So the only caveats here are, one, that it's a good idea to check with a sublease company before purchasing a property that you think you may want to be uh, available for you, uh, you may want to be available for this arrangement later on. So they'll quickly look at the age and condition of the building, the location, the layout, and they'll let you know if they think that they want to sublease it from you and for how much. So if they say no, or if the monthly rent that they agree to pay for it is lower than the standard long-term lease rent amount, you know that this property probably is not going to be very profitable for monthly leasing at any point in the future. The second caveat is that the sublease company's typical lease term is usually longer than standard tenancies. So normally about three or four years instead of the usual one or two year rolling lease that we get with normal tenants, which makes sense of course, because they need to furnish the place, they need to spruce it up nicely when they take over. So they wanna make sure that they get their money's worth. And the third caveat is that when their tenancy does come to an end, 
the property that's then returned to the landlord does tend to suffer at least slightly more wear and tear than comparable properties that have been leased for the same period of time. As a rule of thumb, this isn't always the case, and definitely if you've had, for example, um, an elderly single male pensioner renting from you, say for 15 or 20 years, you're definitely going to be up for a much more expensive renovation when they do finally move out, um, not to mention that they might die in the property, and we've covered these kinds of cases here in the past as well. But if we compare a typical, say, four- or five-year tenancy, which is the average for single-sized apartments, with a normal long-term tenant, and compare that to a four- or five-year tenancy with a sublease company, you can expect to have a renovation and repair bill that's at least slightly higher in the case of the sublease company, simply because of the higher turnover that they've got with tenants. But if you are okay with all of these um, small reservations, a sublease arrangement may be the right thing for you. And it definitely allows you to keep your options open longer term with the added confidence that you now know for a fact that the property has been functioning well for short-term leases as well as long-term leases. So you can feel a bit safer taking on the monthly lease um, adventure, let's call it, on your own at any point down the track as well, simply doing the same thing that the sublease company has been doing up until that point. So that's probably it from us on this topic, folks. We'll do an actual deal analysis episode on one of these sublease-type properties um, in one of our upcoming episodes, so you can have a closer look at what the numbers and the potential issues with these properties look like in practice. And we hope to see you at our seminar off-Broadway tomorrow, December 10th, 2019, if you happen to be in Fukuoka or nearby at all. And of course, we would really appreciate it, as always, if you could take a moment of your time to leave us a star rating, or even better, a short review along with it, just a few words on the iTunes store. We love hearing from you either there or on the comments section of wherever you might have tuned in from. We're on Facebook, Instagram, both under the name Japan Real Estate. Very active community, uh, actually, particularly on our Facebook group and business page. So feel free to jump into the conversation. And of course, feel free to share this episode and the podcast with your own networks. And we hope to have you with us next time as well. Until then, as always, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you a fantastic week and happy home hunting.